2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, continuing our study in the book of 2 Thessalonians. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. <clears throat> but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful, uh, Lord, that you, God, shone your light around us. God, that you visited us. That you saved us. And Lord, we don't know exactly where we would be, but God, we know we would be in sin and we'd be on our way to hell in separation from you. Lord, if it weren't for Jesus Christ. And for you, Father, drawing us. And Lord, for the Holy Spirit enlightening us. And God, we praise you for that. Lord, as we consider this chapter, God, I pray that you would renew within us a desire for you. And renew within us a desire to please you. God, and, and because of those desires, you would renew within us a desire to pray. That you would renew within us a joy and a recognition that as we labor to earn and provide for ourselves, God, we do that as unto you. And God, help us to be patient in doing good works. Help us to be loving. Help us to have peace and unity. Lord, as we follow the commands, Lord, to admonish a brother. And to walk rightly before you. We ask that you would grant us wisdom from your word, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. There's a couple of things. One thing before I get into the sermon. I notice, I don't know if you notice. You know, we mention, I mentioned on several occasions, Dad mentioned in his prayer, those that are at home watching through the video. Uh, we don't do that uh, because we're overly concerned about said video. We do that because uh, there are people in there. Uh, that haven't been able to be with us for months. And um, we try to keep those people on the forefront of our minds. That just, it struck me as dad was praying, and uh, I know I mention it regularly as well, but that's, that's why. When I mention that, it's, it's so we'll remember the folks that are, uh, that are at home. So let's be, be, be praying for them as well. <clears throat> Regarding the chapter, there's a couple of things that I want to note. Uh, as we jump in, just kind of overview before we start to tackle through verse by verse, uh, Paul is writing to them 
uh, letting them know that he is praying for them. We saw that at the end of the last chapter. Uh, or the, uh, Yes, that he is praying for them, but he also requests that they would pray for uh, them, that the Thessalonians would pray for Paul uh, and those that were with Paul. And he lets them know that he is praying for them in a couple of ways that they can pray. Uh, and in verse 5, he prays or reminds them that they need the Lord to direct their hearts in love uh, and in patience, because in the following verses, he's going to command them to do some difficult things, namely admonish those who are not living rightly according to God's command and God's law. And that's a difficult thing. That's a tough thing. Uh, a lot of people don't you know, feel comfortable admonishing someone else. And uh, a lot of most people, uh, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and say nobody likes to be admonished uh, if they're not in the spirit and thankful for it, uh, as it is a, a gift from God and a, a word from the Lord if it's done rightly and biblically. Uh, he says as they do that, uh, that uh, they shouldn't count in verse 15 as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother, and then it closes, may the Lord give you peace. Peace. Now, that's not a uh, effervescent peace, alright? That's a real peace. Peace as opposed to war. Peace as opposed to division. It's just something that I wanted to kind of uh, point out. And then verse 17 uh, he notes, uh, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. And we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but again, I think that they had received a letter from someone claiming to be Paul who was not Paul that caused trouble. And Paul reminds them in verse 17, look, I sign it with my own hand as I do every epistle. If it don't have my signature, it's not from me. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to kind of make note of before we get, uh, like I said, verse by verse. I have uh, three uh, points here, you see, pray, work, and do. Pray, work, and that work there is working to earn, working to earn a living, and then do, doing good works, right? So we have a work that we have to do, uh, right, to survive, to live, uh, and that's not, uh, that's not uh, new or astounding, uh, but then we have good works. That would be those good and moral works, those kind things, those righteous things that we stick to and do. So there's your, your layout. Getting into uh, the first section, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Uh, notice that Paul uh, is, uh, wait a minute, <clears throat> I'm doing this all wrong, aren't I? I can see my outline, but I don't know that you can. You can. Let's see if I can control it or if Shave's going to have to control it. You have to forgive me. Shave looks like you may be up to bat this morning it's not going to let me as I tried to cycle through the first one it kicked me off all right shave gets to be on his p's and q's this morning you ready shave <laughs> so he mentions prayer over in chapter 2 as I said verse 13 and verse 15 he mentions it again in chapter 3 let's go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 13 he says we are bound to give thanks to God always for you we are bound to give thanks to God. Now that's not, again, that is something that is done in a very practical and real manner on your knees before God, conscientiously praying to God is how you give Him thanks. Uh, we don't try to take the, the lazy bypass that is uh, really not true when we say, well, God knows I'm thankful. No, if you haven't told Him that you're thankful, if you haven't expressed it, and that is prayer, so Paul was praying for them and encouraging them in verse 15 to stand fast to the traditions that they were taught by word and by epistle. And then over in chapter, or chapter 3, verse 1, he says, pray for me. Now think about it. These people in Thess uh, and the Thessalonians here, they're young believers. They're young converts. He's having to write to them to keep them out of error. Uh, they haven't been saved for a very long time. They're not very knowledgeable about God's word. And yet Paul says to them, pray for me. He was praying for them and asked these young believers to pray for him. He was not above them. Right? He was not above them. He's not looking at them, well, they're young believers and I'm Paul and I'm one of the greatest missionaries and I've started all these churches and I've had visions from God and, and I have apostolic authority and, and so I'll pray for them but I don't need them to pray for me. That's not what Paul thought. He wasn't above the flock. and None of us 
are above the flock. He wasn't too proud to let them know, I need the Lord's help. Sometimes we don't pray or we don't ask for prayer because we're too proud. As if we've got it all figured out, as if we've got it all done. Paul didn't say, hey, I know how to do this. I've got all the schooling. I've got all the learning. I've got this figured out. You just worry about you and don't, I don't need you to pray for me. Paul didn't say that. Paul also was not or without something to pray for. Paul was ministering. Paul was doing. If you're not active in spiritual, Holy Spirit-led ministry to those that are around you, to those that you love, to whoever God has put on your plate, then you don't really need prayer that much. At least you don't think you do. Paul had spiritual irons in the fire, so he had something to pray for. Also, looking at these first three verses, Paul believed in the power of community prayer. Somebody asked me just this week, why do you think it matters if we all pray for each other? I said, the Bible teaches over and over and over again about the power of community prayer. You know what I know about prayer first of all? I know what the Bible tells me about it, right? That's the very first thing that I know about prayer. And the Bible repeatedly, Paul, Christ himself, repeatedly performed and asked, requested, and, and took part in and gave the example of community prayer. Community prayer. We need community prayer. We need to come together and pray together, and we need to be praying for one another. Paul believed in the power of community prayer to overcome real obstacles and dangers to them and their God-given purpose. You see that in verse 1 through 3. Paul says, pray for me because we have a ministry to perform. The, the gospel needs to go forward and there are obstacles out there to the gospel. We want it to run swiftly. We want it to run smoothly. But we know there are obstacles, spiritual obstacles, that we can't do anything about. So we're praying to God that he would make the way smooth and quick. We also know that there are dangers to this God-given purpose. Dangers that are of man and are of Satan. Spiritual dangers. And then Paul repeatedly pushed them towards prayer and the word. Paul repeatedly pushed them towards prayer and the word. You see that in chapter 2 in verse 13 and 15. He says, hold fast to the word that you were taught either by word, by mouth, when we were with you, or by epistle that I wrote to you, hold fast to that word and pray for us. Pray that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. I, I've come to, to find, I've come to see that there tends to be two types of believers. And yes, I believe they're likely both believers. Those who spend time in the word and feast on the word and do their study, and do their, their spiritual discipline of Bible reading and Bible study and Bible memorization. But they don't really spend a lot of time in prayer. They don't couple that together with prayer. They don't couple that together with a submissive approach of, Lord, you teach me through your Holy Spirit. And we know, 1 Corinthians, that knowledge only puffs up. We need to be careful. We need to be aware. I, I was thinking on this. Have you ever considered the truth that you can wield the word of God or you can wield the sword of the Lord sinfully. I know that you can do it because I've done it. Right? Either without context to defend myself in my sin, maybe even in context in order to judge or to put down someone else. Right? We need to couple the word with prayer. But then there are those on the other side, I believe, who, who, who pray and they earnestly seek and they have this, this, maybe they have a fervor and an earnest desire to know God and to seek Him and they pray and they beg and they ask and they pray, but they have no knowledge according to the Word of God. And so they're left empty and they're left struggling and they're left thirsting. Because how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through His Word 
by His Holy Spirit who lives within us. So we need the Word coupled with prayer. This is why I love praying through the Bible. I'm looking around the room. I think the only person, the only people in this room I haven't given a copy of that book to is probably the kids, and I will get you one today if you don't let me forget. See, I just made it your problem. I love the book is great because it points me to know how to better use my sword, the word. And that's why we open every service by praying through a psalm. Because it is good that we would take the word of God and couple it with prayer because the two go hand in hand. If you want to study to teach or you want to study to preach or you want to study just to learn, pray through the scripture. Pray that God would use it in your life. Pray that God would apply it to you. Pray that you can pray the same prayer that's being prayed. Pray that God would give you wisdom as you read through on how to know what it means, how to interpret it, but how to apply it. Paul repeatedly pushed them in that direction. Looking through these verses from really chapter 2, verse 13 through verse 5, I have about eight reasons that we need to pray. Here's the thing about prayer. You either pray or you don't pray. You either pray or you don't pray. Daryl asked me this morning, how's the workout going? Well, six days behind me, I've got three days of working out, two days where I, I worked hard enough that I told myself, no man who just did what you did needs to go work out now, and I've got one day with an L that stands for lazy loser. That's easy, isn't it? Did you work out or didn't you? Did you pray or didn't you? Do you start your day? Do you end your day? Do you find time at break time or lunch time in the afternoon to pray? You either pray or you don't pray. And I can give you all the reasons why to pray. And you can sit there and you can say, yes sir, amen, we ought to pray. But if we don't go home and pray, it's not done us any good. Pray, number one, because God deserves gratitude. You know, there's so many different ways that you could put this. I was thinking about it, you know, I could put, well, if you don't pray, then you don't think. <laughs> right? I could put it that way. I can really get in your face this morning with your prayer life. Right? But let's pray because God deserves gratitude. Does he not deserve gratitude? Has he not done anything in your life? Is there not a constant on the forefront of your mind, Lord, thank you for this, for things that you have experienced for years and years, but you're not going to let yourself grow apathetic or bratty towards them as if you somehow deserve those things. You're going to continue to offer thanks for those. And thanks for what is new and precious every morning that you need. Pray because God deserves gratitude. That goes back to chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says, I'm bound to give thanks. Paul says, how can I not give thanks? I have to do it. I have to give thanks. So pray because God deserves gratitude. Number, one, or number two, pray because there is spiritual work to be done. Paul says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Pray because there is spiritual work to be done. If you have set a monotonous routine to go out through your days and weeks where there is no spiritual work to be done, you need to open your eyes to the fact, to the truth, that there is spiritual work to be done amongst those that are around you, those that are closest to you, those that you love. You know, we all have moments of insanity and sobriety, right? There are times that I look back on opportunities spent with my children or with my wife where I say, that was, that was crazy, I wasted that time. How much better if I'd have taught them something? How much better if I would have opened up the Word? How much better if I wouldn't have skipped on family devotions because I felt like we were all too busy? There is spiritual work to be done. We need to pray because there is spiritual work to be done. And you cannot perform, excuse me, you cannot perform a spiritual task without prayer. 
You can perform all kinds of physical tasks. God has given you strength. God has given you breath. He continues to give you breath, but He has given you the free will to go out and use that however you will, to a certain degree. Right? But if you're going to do anything that moves from the physical realm to the spiritual, eternal, uh, everlasting effect on others' realm, you're going to have to pray about it. I've said it before and I'll say it again and I'll try to move more quickly after this. It's like the old commercial for Candy Crush where there's three old women sitting at the kitchen table smacking candy with hammers, acting like they're playing Candy Crush. If you don't know, Candy Crush is a video game for your phone. No more can you play Candy Crush with real hammers and real candy than can you affect something spiritual in your physical body without having prayed first. It's like swinging a headless axe at a tree. Number three, pray because there is human opposition to the word and to those who carry it. Pray because there is human opposition. Pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. You ever felt like some people were just completely unreasonable? That's, I'm going to steal a quote from Shave. That's one of my spiritual weaknesses is dealing with unreasonable people. I just can't, I just don't know what to do with them. They get me frazzled, they get me razzled. I just, if you refuse to be reasonable, I can't have a conversation with you. Right? There are men who refuse to be reasonable regarding the truth that Paul was declaring to them about Jesus Christ who had knowledge of the Old Testament. I believe. If you go back through, and, and this came up a couple occasions in John, I don't have anything specific, where Jesus looked at the Pharisees and they knew. It's not for lack of understanding. It's for lack of desire. They didn't want him to be the Christ. They didn't like the message that he brought. They didn't want to lose their spot as Pharisees, and so they refused to be reasonable. But then there were those also that were wicked, unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. There is human opposition Some of the opposition that you face, that you look at and say, this is human opposition, you need to pray for those humans. Or you need to pray for the work that those humans are attempting to stop you from doing. Pray, number four, because there is supernatural opposition to the word and those who carry it verse 3 but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one again there's two I say two types of people phrase it how you want to there's there we need balance in these things there are some who act like the devil's not real I'm talking about believers act like the devil's not real act like all the problems in life are flesh and man's sin the devil is real and he is out He is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And then there are those who blame everything on the devil. You know, the devil made me do it. I had a buddy of mine who, you know, he tended to be a little rambunctious and mischievous. And somebody gave him, I don't know why, I'm like seven years old and I can see it sitting on his dresser, a little horned, fork-tailed pitchfork that said, the devil made me do it. And we fall to one of the two extremes. Because the devil ain't the problem with all of us. But there is true and real supernatural opposition in the world. And what are you going to do about it? Michael himself dare not stand against Satan himself. Jude. But left that to Jesus Christ. If you're going to overcome supernatural opposition that is real and true and there, then you need to be in prayer. Number five, next slide. Pray because it is Jesus who establishes you and guards you. I will take this one in the negative. If you don't pray, then you have not recognized that it is Jesus who establishes you and guards you. If you don't pray, then on some level, you still believe that you have established yourself and can continue to take care of yourself. 
The Lord is faithful. Lord who? Lord Jesus. He's faithful. Who will establish you and guard you. Pray because it is He. Number six, pray because it is the first step towards living in obedience. I shared a quote on a Wednesday night when we were in prayer. I have it written in the front of my prayer journal that I don't turn to very often, and so I'm probably getting ready to botch the quote. But the quote was, I can do more than pray after I've prayed, but I cannot do anything more than pray until I've prayed. I can do more than pray after I've prayed. Right? You go and you pray for someone, you lift them up in prayer, and God lays a kind act or good act or admonishing act on your heart. You can go and do more than pray after you have prayed. But you can't do anything that mounts to a hill of beans more than praying for somebody until you've prayed. So pray because it is the first step towards obedience. If you look around and go, I don't really know what to do for people, pray for them and God will show you what to do for them. Verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both that you, will, that you do and will do the things that we command you. I'm going to fail in following Christ's commands if I don't pray. Why? I'm leaning on the flesh, and the flesh will always fail me. If I pray, I'm leaning on Christ through His Spirit, and He will always provide a way of escape that I will be able to bear temptation. I don't know what number it is. I think it's seven. It's not numbered up there. It's not numbered down here either. Pray because we need an unnatural heart of love and patience. Verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts. Into the love of God, into the patience of Christ. As I already said, he's getting ready to encourage them to admonish people. It terrifies a preacher to stand up here and preach that his people might go and admonish one another because he's afraid they're going to do it and somebody's going to get mad and they'll just leave the church. That's what happens in a pastor's wicked heart. Are you with me on that? Does everybody understand where I'm coming from? Paul said, prepare yourselves through prayer toward an unnatural heart of love and patience because I need you to do some admonishing amongst the brethren. And if you don't do it lovingly, and you don't do it patiently, then it's going to blow up in our faces. But it's worth it to do it lovingly and patiently and rightly, so that you might save and regain a brother. So pray because we need an unnatural. You know, that's not natural. A heart of love and patience is not a natural thing. Jasper was watching Daniel Tiger this morning. And I love Fred Rogers, by the way. You know Mr. Rogers? Of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? He has a new show called Daniel Tiger. And you're like, new? Well, he's dead. I understand that. But he started it. And he wrote a lot of the music for it. And the whole thing, the whole point of the whole show was when you get so mad that you want to roar, because he's a tiger, then take a deep breath and count to four. And that's not a bad practice not a bad practice at all you know what's a better practice going into your day with a prepared heart of love and patience moving into situations and obstacles and temptations with a prepared heart of love and patience and then eighthly pray or part apparently pray because jesus has the authority to direct your heart and those you pray for Verse 5, now may the Lord direct your hearts. And we could dive in, and people have. We could dive in to matters we do not know the details of and create division off of this truth right here. That the Lord directs hearts. I don't know where that ends and where that begins, and neither will you on this side of eternity. Because I know that I'm responsible for my heart. And I also know that I'm responsible to the Lord for my heart. But if God, if Jesus Christ doesn't have the ability to direct my heart and help direct someone else's heart, then why would I pray to Him? 
right? If you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, in the inner working of God, especially at least in those who are believers, I could take you to Proverbs where God has his, uh, has his hand in the hearts of kings and turns them like rivers of water. Believers and unbelievers alike, I believe. But we pray because Jesus has the authority to direct your heart and the heart of those that you pray for. One of the best things that you can do for an unsaved person is pray for them. That God would send witness, that God would send a testimony, that God the Father would draw them, that the Holy Spirit would enlighten them to the path that Jesus Christ has already laid through the gospel. And that God would direct their heart toward submissive obedience. That God would open their eyes to their sin and their, their destination and their need of Him. And open up and awaken a desire in their heart for a relationship with Him. Pray that. That's the best thing you can do. And then when the opportunity comes, you witness to them. With a heart of love and of patience. Pray if... I have this kind of a, a summary, and this is the largest part of the, of the message. I know it's only point one, and some of you are sitting here in great terror. But then you're looking back at me like, like we haven't been here before. You're going to preach an hour, preacher. We know what's going on. I come to the conclusion with three points from this first section, which is the largest part of our section. Pray if you desire to accomplish anything on a spiritual level. If you desire to accomplish anything on a spiritual, eternal level, then go pray. Number two, pray if you desire to see God's works instead of your own. That's it's sad. When we don't see God working in our lives because we haven't asked Him to. Now I know there's a truth that He is always at work in our lives, but if you haven't asked Him to, you're going to miss it. What a joy that you missed. What a comfort that you missed. What an opportunity to have your faith strengthened that you missed because you didn't ask God to work. But then also there are times where God doesn't perform because we didn't ask Him to. Where He says, you have not because you ask not. And so pray, if you desire to see God at work instead of yourself, then pray. Thirdly, pray if you see a need for and have a personal desire for a change of heart. I don't know about you, but sometimes my heart is burning hot. Sometimes my heart is on fire. Sometimes I am desiring of God. Sometimes I'm desiring of Christ. Sometimes I can't spend enough time in His Word. Sometimes everything around me that I see, I have a thought, a spiritually minded thought. I have a word to help somebody, but that's not the norm. And all God's people said, <gasps> Is it the norm for any of you? There are times when my heart is cold. There are times when my heart is lukewarm. There are times when I'm so distracted. There are times where my desire, and this, this comes from desiring God, John Piper, I absolutely recommend it, where the lowest stage of desire, and I believe that a, a, a believer will always at least be in the lowest stage. The lowest stage of desire is where I don't have a desire, but I, I wish I did. Right? The desire for desire. What if you have a desire for desire, but you don't really desire Christ right now? Anybody ever been there? Then go pray. Go pray. Be thankful for the desire that you have to have a desire, and go pray. Go get serious with God. Go cut stuff off. And get alone with God and pray and beg Him to change your heart. To reawaken a desire for Him in your heart. If you sense a need for change in your heart, then go pray about it. 
put that little picture up there. I was listening to John Piper and he was comparing our desire to do something for Christ without praying. He compared that to a mirror's desire to emit light. If you know anything about a mirror, it doesn't emit light. It has no power to emit light. It has no ability to emit light. It can't do anything to try to emit light. And if you imagine yourself as a little handheld mirror, squeezing and trying and purposing to make some light, it's not going to happen. You're a mirror. But if you turn that mirror towards the light of Christ, how brightly He can shine through you. Prayer. Imagine that little girl holding the mirror. Is it even bright enough for you to see? Good, it is. Imagine the little girl holding the mirror. She turns away from the light. She's not doing anything for that little boy over to her right. But as she turns towards the light, now she can reflect light. Prayer is what turns our hearts towards the light of Jesus Christ. He moves into the necessity of work. He's got an admonishment for them to make in verses 6 through verse 12. And he lays down a law. I love to see in God's word that it is part of his plan and command that his children work. And I don't just mean go and do good works. I mean work. That's a good thing. That is a God-honoring thing. God intended before the fall of man, God commanded Adam before the fall of man that he should dress and keep and subdue the garden. You were called before sin to do and work and create alongside your creator. Now, sin entered in and difficulty entered in and the necessity of laboring in order to earn, in order to receive, in order to live, entered in. So many things that can often steal the joy out of our work. Right? But work in and of itself is not an effect of sin. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe the lie that, well, I have to work and I have to produce because of sin. And if it weren't for sin, we would all just have it made in the shade with glasses of lemonade. It's not what life was intended to be before sin. So I enjoy going to the Word of God and seeing that God commands me. It is part of His plan for me to work and for you to work. You have a job to do. That's good. That gives you purpose in living, in life, to work. We hit this over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm not going to re-preach it, but I want you to see it because it's so good. He says, we urge you, brethren, 1 Thessalonians 4.10, we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And then listen to what he says. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. And to work with your own hands. As we commanded you. That you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack, no lack nothing. I love that. You know, one of the commands of God is to be quiet, mind your own business, and go to work. <laughs> I, I, I happen to like that. Right? There's a level of joy and comfort for me that knows that a quiet life where I labor with my hands to earn for me and my family... And instead of being one who steals, I can earn and give and steal no more, but rather give to the glory of the Lord. There's a joy and comfort in knowing that that is part of me completing the task that God has put me here for. You'll be exponentially miserable at your job place if you think this 40 hours is wasted time and until I get out of here and under the thumb of this employer to get somewhere else, then I can do something for the Lord. You're making yourself miserable in an unbiblical fashion. 
It is part of his plan and his command. Going back to 2 Thessalonians. And in case I haven't made this clear, there were some amongst the church with the belief that Jesus Christ was coming back so soon that they decided they didn't need to work anymore. That's what's going on here. Jesus Christ is coming back. We don't need to work. Stop working. Stop earning. Jesus is coming back. Let's all just hold hands, sing Kumbaya, and pass out tracks, I guess. I don't know what they were doing. I do know what they were doing. They were being busybodies and meddling everybody else's business and dragging down everybody who was working because they're trying to feed them. You notice in the Word of God, it is a regular theme that those who are not busied with work trend towards disorder, meddling, and idleness. You find all of that here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you want to go look it up, I'm not going to go read it, but in 1 Timothy 5 verse 13, he says the young ladies or the widows, those that are widowed as, as a young age, encourage them to remarry because if they sit around, they're going to turn into gossiping busybodies. Don't let them do that. Why? Because women are evil and men are not. Is that what, the, is that what 1 Timothy is about? Of course not. All the same commands are given here in 2 Thessalonians, and it was happening to, all, to, happening to those that weren't working. They turned into meddling busybodies. You know what meddling busybodies do? Cause division amongst the brethren. That's one of the worst things that you can do, is cause division amongst the brethren. And that's what meddling busybodies do. That's what gossipers do. That's what idlers do. There's a practical teaching here regarding those who would take advantage of the church's generosity. Look at verse 10. Even when, we were with, even when we were with you, we commanded you this, but thank the Lord that he had them write this down. If anyone work, neither shall he eat. Now, I'm not going to get into a history lesson, but the first time I ever heard that verse was actually in history class. Who here is a great historian who can tell me who quoted that and set that up in one of the first colonies here in the United States? If a man don't work, he shouldn't eat. I'm sorry? John Smith? You know better than I do. I'm, we'll go with it. If it's not right, the error came from the back corner, not from the pulpit. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. This is wisdom that is needed in helping not hurting those in need. There's a wisdom that is needed to help and not hurt those in need. I've read that, so help, When Helping Hurts is the name of the book. I was encouraged to read that by um, some of the folks, including Ernie Harmon, on our trip to Mexico two and a half years ago now. And came back and read that book. I've read that book. Brad Smith has read that book as Deacon of Outreach and Benevolence. So that we can have a good understanding and wisdom. because And that book was good in pointing us to the Word of God. It's a Christian book. It points you to the Bible and brings out some of these things to help you understand. So that we can understand with wisdom how to help and not hurt. So we can understand with wisdom how to practice taking care of the poor and the needy and the helpless. Because pure religion is this. Taking care of the widow and the needy and the orphan and the helpless. But, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. A heart of compassion is the bottom line, but that does not necessarily mean handouts at every opportunity. A heart of compassion is the bottom line. Do you have a heart of compassion? Do you want to help them? I think all of us probably have seen situations always in other people's lives, never in our own, where someone in a desire to help is handing out and they're only hurting and enabling someone. And Paul looks at his church and says, there are folks among you who aren't working, they're dragging you down. I believe this is where verse 13 comes in. Don't grow weary. Right? 
If we had all things in common as much of the early church did and we're taking care of those that are needy and are hungry amongst this church and more and more able-bodied of us are starting to drop out of work and live off of the benevolence, those of us that are working are going to grow weary of that, are they not? And that's what's going on here. So in dealing with, with others, well, I've talked about us as a church and what we and we talked about this just last week with a situation that came up, putting down things to put into practice a little better, not just having a, you know, a, such a foggy view. But for you, knowing how to help people with wisdom, the wisdom part, the side of it where a lot of people don't like you know, to talk about, here is given to us in the Word of God so that we're not taken advantage of. So we are to work. Then lastly, we are to do. We are to do. Verse 13 through 18. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. He says, hey, listen, admonish them. And he says later on, separate them out. Don't let them keep eating off of you. Okay? Don't, don't regard them as an enemy. Right? Verse 15. But do admonish him as a brother and note him and count him and don't give to him. Because if he doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And you don't grow weary in well-doing. I think if we thought about it a little bit, some of us have better memories than others. I don't have a great memory and it comes in handy. Because bad memories can bring bitterness. You know? But we've all been in situations where I'm doing good. I'm doing right. And the people who aren't doing good and aren't doing right are getting ahead. Paul says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Do good. As I said earlier, there are two types of work mentioned here. Working to provide, a very literal sense of going to work and earning, but also good works. Following the commands of God, as we noted in verse 4, there are commands of God that we ought to do. Good works. There are good, kind, loving, generous works that you ought to be doing outside of just going to work. Right? No matter what you see around you, you continue doing good. He says, but as for you, brethren, you know, it's like the father who says to the son, they're not my child. You do what I've told you to do. But he does say, verse 14 and 15, do not condone those who do not uphold biblical commands, but lovingly and patiently, from verse 5, admonish him as a brother and not as an enemy. Right? There are certain things regarding the fellowship, the brotherhood, the church. There are certain things that we are to break fellowship with said individuals. We are to consider them as a heathen and leave them to the Lord. Right? If they dwell in sin, if they refuse to repent of that sin, if they try to condone their sin, if they're unwilling to confess and forsake their sin before an individual, before a group, and then finally before the church. We break fellowship with that one. Right? This is not that. This is, go to a brother in Christ that you know is a brother in Christ. Approach him lovingly, patiently, and admonish him, hey, Brother, it seems like, it appears to me, I'm under the understanding that. And admonish him as a brother. Paul was concerned, lastly, and prayed for peace. Verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. I think sometimes we think that Paul just was a wordy individual. Paul's awful wordy, isn't he? May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. 
The Lord be with you all. Why is Paul so wordy? Paul is emphasizing. Right? Paul is making a point. Peace? Where does peace come from? Peace comes from the Lord. He's the Lord of peace. Peace doesn't just happen because everybody, you know, tends to have a good understanding. We're all on kind of the same page. Peace comes from the Lord. He's the Lord of peace. And if you're going to have peace, it's going to come from the Lord of peace himself. Namely, Jesus Christ. May He give you peace always in every circumstance. Right? Covering all of our bases here. The Lord be with you all. Looking back through here, peace, real peace in a community requires order and forgiveness. Right? It requires order. We all fall under the command and the law of God. When I go to admonish a brother, I don't do that based on what I think. I do that based on the word of God. There is an order. And it requires forgiveness. Because there's not a one of us that is above failure. There's not a one of us that will never be wronged or wrong someone else. And so we need forgiveness. The law of God is not a law of of people who are seeking perfection. It is a law of people who know right and wrong so they can seek God and seek forgiveness. And we practice that same forgiveness as followers of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you've been glorified in it. Lord, the, the message is so summarizing of our life that we, if we would pray and stay in your word and earn an honest living and do good works with patience and love, then we please you, following your commands. Lord, I pray that you would help us to grasp that. Help us to live by that. Help us to desire that. Lord, if there's a a heart here that is lukewarm, God, I pray that their desire to be warm, God, would send them to their knees and you would reawaken that heart. God, I don't know, Lord. It may be me admonishing, Lord. It may be a brother admonishing me before I even leave this building today. God, I pray that you would help us all, no matter what side of that we are on, to be loving, to be patient, to be humble, to be submissive to your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We ask that you would help us to live by the power of Christ in us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.